Are you suffering from back pain? Well, I've got the thing just for you. 15 surefire tips for relieving back pain, plus 192 others just in case, volume 1, available at Amazon.com. Over 30 million Americans are suffering with back pain at this very moment. The vast majority of these cases are either caused or exacerbated by common lifestyle factors. Many of the same factors may be causing you pain right now. Join board-certified physician Andrew Kirshner as he guides you through the parts of your life where these problems occur and gives you simple, safe and effective solutions for these common daily pitfalls. In this fun and informative book, you will learn how to identify the aspects of your life which may be causing you pain, how to create a back-friendly environment, how you can improve your pain by improving your sleep, ways to make a pain-free commute, how you can perform daily activities without making your pain worse, and much more. Andrew Kirshner is so well respected in the field of back pain relief. He has you know, famous clients such as DJ Jazzy Jeff. He has done uh, many talks and lectures at universities in the UK. He has appeared on QVC demonstrating back pain relief products and that is because he is an expert in his field and people trust him. Also check out the 5 star reviews on Amazon.com. This is the book that you need if you suffer from back pain. That's 15 surefire tips for relieving back pain plus 192 others just in case volume 1 available at Amazon.com in paperback. Check the link below the show for more information. Just when you thought that there were already too many podcasts in the world. Here comes another one. Sunshine on my shoulders makes me happy. Oh my god. Who does he think he is? Come around here with his bloody podcasts. kids welcome to another episode of pablo's pop and podcast it's um it's been a little while i'm starting to get my life a bit back on track uh, i did say that this show would be uh uploaded on a friday it hasn't as you can tell uh because i'm recording this uh, saturday afternoon <laughs> but um yeah I've, the kickstarter was a success thank you very much um we raised uh, 3300 pounds i think which was insane um so the deal with that, I mean, everyone, if you're connected uh, to me on Facebook and if you've pledged, you know, you'll be updated of all of that. So I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to bore you with that. But um, it, it's it's incredible. It really is. Uh, it means that I have, you know, it means that I have product uh, going forward, which is pretty cool. I'll have the seven inch uh, or the 10 inch, I should say, of uh, 4Play. Um it gets to, you know, because as I always say, the uh, the theme of this show is my self-employment, and it shows, look, this is what I can do to the tribunal people, which is the 14th of September. That's like the next big thing that's sort of happening in my life. So, you know, if that goes, uh, if that goes well, then, you know, then I might not actually have anything to complain about, which would be uh, pretty cool. Um, congratulations to Alina Langley uh, for her successful Kickstarter. If you listened to the last show, as you can tell, I'm, I'm starting a... Uh, uh, two sub-series I'm going to go into uh, that a little bit more over the next uh, week or so um, but uh, one of the uh, sub-series is going to be specifically for 
um, for artists who have Kickstarters who, you know, need a little bit of promotion. Um, I know, I mean, obviously I know what it's like doing a Kickstarter now, so, you know, there's nothing worse than when you're doing a Kickstarter than feeling useless and feeling that there is nothing that you are doing to help promote. So if I can help with that, you know, just by doing an interview, giving the Kickstarter a bit of a plug, you know, those particular shows, um, they're... It, it, it will have a different feel to it. I won't be talking as much. There won't be any music. It'll be straight into the project, unless the project is a music project. Um, you know, it, it's kind of there to... It's basically a big advert, basically, but I want to take you behind the person or the people who are uh, launching the Kickstarter and, you know, it gets you into inside the mind of, you know, why people do Kickstarters, um... You know how not easy they are. Um, <laughs> you know, I wish the Kickstarter process was fun. Uh, it wasn't, um, <laughs> but you know, it all turned out for the best. And you know, I didn't spend a penny on advertising. So um, you know, there's there's always that. Um, and going forward as well, and this is kind of me advertising myself a little bit. Um, well, firstly, I'm still looking for a third sponsor. Um, if you are interested. Um, and if you want to help the podcast grow a little bit, then please get in touch. Uh, toxicmelons at hotmail.co.uk or Pablo's Poppin Podcast on Facebook. Um, there will be, well, I'm in talks with doing another sub series, which will be a monthly thing. Uh, it's wrestling related. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, but it'll be something that's very fun. So if you want to uh, get in on the ground floor and, um, I mean, look, it helps me pay some bills. Basically, if you become a sponsor, hopefully I can, you know, provide, uh, or send business your way. Um, you know, I, di I didn't realize how much of my time per week would be spent on this podcast, and it, I, I don't, I'm not regretting it. I love it, it keeps me sane. Um, but having that third sponsor would really just give me the time. I mean, it would up the production of the show because this is just me. I record on the logic, um, these bits and then i do the fun conversation through skype um but it would help with it would help with the show it would help you know give me the time to source the best guests i can possibly find i think i'm doing that uh but you know it's at the expense of a lot of other things so you know that's uh we'll see how that goes and if you're interested uh please let me know i mean there is a patron button at the top of the page where you can actually be a patron and become a sponsor so if you want to do that then then all good with me um Today's guest is, uh, he is Jason Downs. Now, that may be a name that you're familiar with. He released an album in 2001 called White Boy With A Feather. That was kind of his uh, big hit album, and he's done so much since then. Um, but that was when I discovered him, and he meshed quite well country and hip-hop. And <laughs> I know what you're thinking. Come on, Pablo, <laughs> you know, you're not in the country or hip-hop. But... It, he did it in a way where you know the the melodic hooks and the arrangements and just i don't know just everything about it just really appealed to me and since then he released two more albums and uh he really grew as a musician you know the second album uh, went more into electronica um a lot of loops uh the third album was more uh, kind of more singer songwritery i guess but with like kind of orchestral arrangements and uh he's really grown as a as a songwriter uh so we go into his entire career it was it, it was an honor talking to him um you know um he wrote three albums and 
you know the uh, the storytelling aspect of those albums um, very reminiscent of Lou Reed um, among other artists you know that was an influence on me you know um, it emphasized the importance of telling a story in the songs uh, but also you know making them catchy hopefully uh, so yeah we'll be going into my interview with him I'll be playing uh, some songs, some songs that have never been heard before as well, uh, some demos. Uh, so yeah, it's very much a Jason Downs show, and uh, I'm hoping everyone will enjoy that. Um, this is something a bit weird. Um, <laughs> that's the thing, with the internet, you, you, literally everything ever in the world is on the internet, and there's no reason to ever really get bored. And I've, you know, sometimes in my sort of, you know, at 3am, you know, something pops into your mind and you have to find out about it and you know if if you are my age and lived in the uk you'll remember a kid show called zap and um i was just like okay what are, what are the cast up to now because i love i love where are they now kind of things um you know if you remember zap it was um it was kind of this weird giant comic thing um and each uh, section of the comic was kind of a had a character and it was just a, like a sketch show basically i mean i didn't realize that it wasn't that it was specifically designed for deaf children because you know there are no words which you know obviously makes sense but <laughs> it just never clicked at the time um so yeah i did find a website obviously neil buchanan uh who played smarty arty um who brought pictures to life um basically um uh, he would draw them and then they'll come to life um Everyone knows Neil Buchanan. I mean, you know, he uh, he did Art Attack, and uh, he's also in a uh, a rock band called uh, Versailles. Oh, Marseille, I should say, not Versailles. <laughs> um, heavy metal band, actually. Um, I got to see uh, the band at the Head of Steam, and uh, he needed a bottle of water, and <laughs> and I passed it over to him because um, it, it got passed from the back of the bar forward, and you know, I passed it to him, and I said, "What are you going to do? Make an Art Attack out of it?" And he told me to fuck off, which I mean, is quite an honor <laughs> you know something that i'll always uh you know take with me um it actually started because me and a friend were talking about cuffbit lily <laughs> there's a name out of the past uh, cuffbit lily he's dead silly uh and it was just where is he now and he's uh he became an actor um this you, you may not care about this to be fair but uh, i i care because it quenches my you know uh first for useless knowledge basically um yeah, there was someone called... See, later on... Um, well, this is the things you find out. Uh, Richard uh, Waite, who played Cuthbert Lily, was the only one to feature in all 131 episodes of Zap. I mean, 131 episodes is crazy. I didn't realise there were that many. Um, it started in January 1993 and uh, lasted 10 seasons. So it must have went on until maybe, what, 99 or something like that? Um, so... Uh, yeah, so uh, Richard Waite, Cuthbert Lily, ended up uh, going on to be an actor um, in TV movies, etc. Um, Daisy Dares, uh, she took over. See, they didn't go into uh, the original uh, character who was like this kind of, like, sort of, kind of scary detective but with like a stocking mask so you couldn't see his face and he pulled tricks on people didn't go into that but daisy dares took over and um you know if you remember daisy dares uh, she had pigtails the yellow gingham sort of uh shirt uh, braces and you know uh, looked like an innocent schoolgirl basically but she was a she was a right little bitch uh, she would just play tricks on people um so she um 
you know, went on to do, and there's a picture of her as well, um, and she went on to sort of uh, do a lot of voiceover work, etc. Um, the thing that was mind-blowing is, uh, if you remember, there were the two hands, and they were called, what were they called? The Handymen. Um, I assumed that was Neil Buchanan, because it's art-related things. It was just these two hands with uh, one blue glove, one yellow glove, and they would make things at, and with a black background, so all you see was the hands. It wasn't Neil Buchanan. It was something called... Uh, or someone called uh, Sarah Pickfall, and there is a like I, there's a picture of her, and this kind of shit like freaks me out because it's like no one has heard of her since, um, and you know that obviously means I have to find her and get her on the show, don't I? So you know we'll uh, <laughs> uh, we'll see, we'll see about that. Um, but yeah, there was a mini the mini magician. Um, played by Sophie Aldred, and she replaced Smarty Artie. I don't remember this. This was season eight. Um, she was forced to wear a crazy forced to wear <laughs> a crazy orange wig and uh, license plates for the role. Um, yeah, it, she stayed firmly in the entertainment industry after originally finding fame as Ace in Doctor Who in the 1980s. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't heard of her at all, so I was obviously obviously too old for Zap at that point, but uh, probably past its peak by that point, you know. Um, I am the uh, barometer for what's cool, and if I'm not watching it, then basically it's not cool anymore, so... <laughs> um, Anyway, I'm going to stop blabbering on, but uh, yeah, no, the, this kind of shit fascinates me, and uh, you know, um, that is the point of this podcast, it's just, well that's the point of any podcast really, it's people talking about stuff that they la like, and uh, you know, it can be as niche as possible, I try not to do that anymore, but um, yeah, <laughs> um, so yeah, I will stop uh, talking, uh, just an absolute ton of shit, um, we're going to go into my interview with Jason. We're going to play some music of him beforehand. But after the interview, uh, there will be more music by Jason. Uh, and then we'll be going to the upcoming guests and uh, stuff that I am doing, which will be hopefully of service to you as a musician, um, which you may like to take advantage of. And uh, yeah, so I'll, again, I'll stop talking. <laughs> and uh, I will play you Jason's. Big hit from 2001 uh, called White Boy with a Feather from the album of the same name. And then we'll be going straight into my interview with Mr. Jason Downs. Oh yeah. Oh, see that hurt? Oh, he's got a feather in his hand. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yo, follow that kid, yo, follow him. So I just had to say, oh, what a beautiful day. 
and run, honey. Second Street. I stopped in Times Square and played my song. Here's a little ditty for NYC. No one seemed to notice. I only made a few pennies. Was about to move on when I saw a couple guys coming toward me saying something like, White boy. Who's the white boy over there with the feather in his hair? This week on Pablo's Poppin' Podcast, we have an actor, a musician, a producer. Uh, I think he was in the Harlem Globetrotters for one season. He's done just about everything else. Uh, we have Jason Downs, a guy responsible for three of my favorite albums of all time. <laughs> hey, <laughs> how you doing? How I'm, you doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm good. How are you? I'm, I'm great, man. I'm great, especially especially now that I know I was I was part of the Harlem Globetrotters. That's incredible. Well, yeah, it was it was during those yeah crazy uh, wilderness years when. Um... That is, I mean, I, that is the coolest thing that's ever been said about. Me. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, uh, as I was saying before, yeah, you know, I, I uh, listened to an interview that you did, and it's sort of I took a lot from that interview, um, and I also learned what questions not to ask over and over again, sort of thing. But um, you're, were you sort of a, a theater school kid? Because you started off as an actor. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I guess you could say I started out in music as well um because i did musical theater you know i was whether it was church or school or or wherever or community theater um they all sort of went hand in hand you know i was always singing i was always part of you know the musical groups as well as part of the theater groups i don't know i just i, I loved it all mm -hmm. i just loved um you know i loved being in front of an audience basically um that's that's really what i fell in love with from an early age and um as i got older like in into my teen teenage years was when i really started to sort of become aware of musicianship and and uh and songwriting and and stuff like that and start and started um idolizing artists who could create their own work <clears throat> so um who were your earliest influences musically? Because after you released your uh, first album, White Boy with a Feather, you had uh, there were comparisons to Bob Dylan within sort of telling stories within the song. So was Dylan a early influence? Oh sure, um, absolutely. I, I mean, I think I came I came to him late in life compared to to some um, people. I, I mean. I, 
oddly enough, a lot of the music that I was introduced to came through girlfriends. You know, girls that I would date. It seemed like you know would introduce me to to you know some new um, you know amazing musical discovery that you know like 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 Bob Dylan. Of course, I knew who Bob Dylan was, but I'd never fully immersed myself in his music until I met this one particular girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know there are other artists like that you know in stages of my life that I can associate with with uh, you know with special women in my life and um which which i kind of like you know how there's there's that sense memory when you hear a song and it, t- it takes you right back you know to a certain place in time so um i have that with with music um but i think i think to answer your question earliest it, it, i mean for for many of us uh it, it's the beatles man i mean it's 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 paul and john and and just the sheer number of songs that they were able to churn out and that are recognizable and have become part of the fabric of of our collective societies um just blew me away and um i think i think it was really what inspired me to just try mm-hmm. you know i mean that was always my thing I, whenever anyone asked me i always said why well, I, I just simply didn't know that i couldn't write music and so I tried, um, and and that's not to say that when I started writing I was any good, um, because personally, I mean, I still I still am highly critical of of what I write and and um, and and can tell there's there's vast room for improvement, you know, in, in places and and songs that I listen to again after you know a couple years of not hearing it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, but someone, some, someone like Paul and John, I feel like because they, I guess, just played so much of other people's music, Yeah, they, they, they knew music so well that somehow when it came time for them to start writing their own stuff, they had a finger on, on a pulse. They, they sort of they sort of had uh, they, they had an, an amazing education yeah. <laughs> whatever led them you know to that to that point um, you know they, they had they had um, an ear for for the those chords that that would strike I don't know I, I mean I, I it's it's almost like too big for me to even comprehend. <laughs> I mean, I, f- I feel like I feel like um, I feel like the Rolling Stones did that as well. You know, they just did it with they did it with blues and and um, and they learned that so well hmm. and immersed themselves so well in that. And 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 I guess because it was also burgeoning at the time, you know, just like the Beatles and pop music. Um, you know, they, they were such students uh, of, of that particular genre that, and knew it so well that they knew exactly what, what chords to strike, like, like I said before. And I think, I think um, that, that, that the Rolling Stones did, did something sim- similar with blues that, that then sort of became what we think of as, as rock, you know? 
So when you were oh. when you were writing those sort of early, you know, your earliest uh, songs, because you know, um, stuff that you know is on your uh, albums uh, could be seen as uh, autobiographical. Uh, were you sort of writing about yourself at the time, or sort of relationships, or because um, you don't have strict love songs in the sort of traditional sense. So were you sort of writing sort of quite abstractly at the time or? Um, I mean, well, to answer your first question, yes, I was absolutely writing autobiographically. I, you know, I was writing about what I knew and what I was, you know, what was on my mind and what was important to me and, or just what I thought was fun or, um, so yeah, I mean, that's absolutely what I drew from. Um, was I intentionally not writing a straight-ahead love song? Not, not necessarily. I mean, you know, a lot of that music, especially on those albums with Jive, um, well, and, and then even beyond, I guess, a little bit, but I, uh, I had just come off of an extremely traumatizing relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I had gotten married... I'd gotten married at, at a young age, too young, and, you know, made some silly, silly decisions um, that sort of really knocked me on my ass and, and left me bitter and angry and confused and traumatized and, <clears throat> and heartbroken. And so I think that could be what you're, what, you know, what you're touching on or what you're sensing because I was very distrustful I was very distrustful of love and, and of, I think, of people in general. And so, obviously, my stories and my experiences reflect that. Mm. And, and so, while I still worshipped women and, and, you know, loved being with women in, in, certain, in a certain capacity, it was very reserved, you know. I, I, I was unable to, to share myself completely as far as love was concerned, and and wasn't interested in that. And so, so I think the songs probably reflect uh, a, a love hate, or or at least a love with with uh, with extreme prejudice, <laughs> you know, res reservations, and and so you know what you would call a love song was perhaps, you know, as you called it, a different approach to expressing that mm -hmm. love song. You know what I mean? Um, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, with, um, with White Boy With A Feather, you know, there, there seems to be a lot of, um, like, you within the lyrics, you feel sort of, uh, if they are, you know, autobiographical, that you feel sort of, liberated sort of thing you know um you know I, I if this is too personal obviously you don't have to answer but like you know there's with uh tracks like tripping and ecstasy you know so you know were you sort of uh you know i guess sort of you know taking drugs sort of partying quite a lot during those sort of you know early days you know i i never i never was a drug uh, guy, I just never, I never got into that sort of stuff. Um, that particular song, "Ecstasy," came from my producer Milk. You know, I mean, a, a lot of the the sort of 
the sort of seedling ideas for the songs that I ended up writing came from him and my and my other producer at the time, Mark Passy. Um, you know, they'd say, "Okay, well, we've got this this concept for a, a song, and you know, here it is, and and here's a beat. Go write it." Kind of thing was how we worked. Um, so one of them was ecstasy. Now I had tried ecstasy one time um and that's what i based you know my experience on um, and yeah you know and i'm i'm glad i i had the experience and it was amazing and and uh, i can certainly see why people return to that again and again but i've always been i guess a little bit too much of a, ner a nerd if you want to you know put it that way or a little bit too sort of self um, protected, you know, I, I, and maybe it goes back to what I was just explaining to you, how I'd sort of at an early age been knocked on my ass and, and sort of, you know, broken hearted. And so I was distrustful yeah. and maybe that was part of it as well. Like I didn't feel safe. Um, <clears throat> did you feel sort of in control of your emotions, uh, because you had been through such a sort of a traumatic experience or did you feel that you thought that you were in control of your emotions? But looking back on it, maybe you weren't. I I don't know if being in control of my emotions and 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 squelching my emotions <laughs> is the same is the same thing. Uh -huh. I mean, you know, when when you when you when you go through something like that and start protecting yourself and guarding yourself, then I, I don't know if that's the same as being in control. Um, because I think a fully fully functional and developed human being you know, should be able to express their themselves, express their, their emotions, feel emotions, be brave enough to uh, experience, you know, all of the ups and downs that life brings you and, and, and still, and st you know, and, and still be able to function and still be able to, you know, be a source of, of love and light in the world. You know what I'm saying? I think, I mean, that's the ideal I hope that, that we're all going for. Mm -hmm. Um, at, at that particular time in my life, I don't think that I was that person. I think I was far from that person. Um, so, so was I in control? I, I would say no, because I was avoiding my emotions. I was, I was, uh, you know, I, I had not fully examined myself or fully matured, I guess, to a point where I could heal the wounds that I had sort of accumulated at that point. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and thank, thank God for music, you know, I, 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 and performing, that's, that's where I put it all. I, I put it, I tried to express it in my, in my music and, and I certainly escaped it through my music and escaped it, you know, by, by being on stage and, and, and I'm so grateful for that, for that time because it became a part of my healing, you know, eventually. So would you say that um, I mean, the, one of the standout tracks for me, uh, particularly on that album, is one of those days. Uh, it's a track that I love listening to as well, especially, if, you know, if I'm pissed off as well, because it feels like, you know, the lyrics kind of get um, why I'm annoyed, you know, at certain things, including con consumerism and stuff like that. Um, so, I mean, did were you sort of really... Um, was that one of those things again, where say Milk uh, give you a, a, a vague concept and you just went off and um, 
put something to it or was that something that you really had on your mind sort of thing no that that was absolutely all that was all me i'd written that song probably even before i met milk um I'm, i can't remember the timeline exactly but no i there there are, there are tracks on there that are that are completely mine mm. um uh but the the two you mentioned before, Trippin and Ecstasy, were were concepts that you know he suggested and that I that I went went away and you know wrote and expanded upon. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, it, first of all, let me let me just say how much it means to me that you you know that you appreciate appreciate this and and um, you know sought me out and 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 are, are sharing this with me. I, I, I mean it. This this means the world to a musician of, of any kind, and and I, I just thank you for that. So, um, anyhow, so so to answer your question, yeah, you know, and and one of those days, you know, just today, I don't know if you've been keeping up with the news. I mean, I know obviously that Britain's been going through a lot of crazy stuff the past couple three weeks or so, but um, yeah, I saw the uh, the thing of the uh, the cops being. Uh... Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's just, it's just never, it's just never ending, and it's so upsetting and just unbelievable. And and uh, I mean that that's a whole other conversation. But <clears throat> but what's ironic for you to, to bring that up and 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 um, you know sort of touch on exactly what what I was feeling when I wrote it. <laughs> um, Ironically, is is what I felt today when I when I got up and heard the news, you know, and and here we are again, and and it's it's just one of those days that <laughs> that you that you're embarrassed to be a part of of the human race, and that, you know you, you're ashamed of of what goes on, and 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 just furious and 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 somewhat helpless, and and. Um, you know, you, you just kind of feel like the only alternative is that we is that we blow our, our you know, is that we all blow up and start over. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, which you know is is also horrible, horrible to say. I would like to believe that we could mm. could get it together, but um, anyhow, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Some days that's that's the reality of of how you feel, and I think again that's one of the beauties of. Of being an artist, and uh, you can you can put that into a medium. Uh, you can release it out into the universe, and 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 uh, you know not not do any harm. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can. Mm. It, it's a positive. It's a positive release as opposed to a destructive one. Well, I think one of the things that. Um, you know, from reading reviews, uh, of, of, I mean, we'll move on from this album, but because um, you, you, you know, you've done other great things. But uh, the thing about this album that gets the great reviews, particularly, are the lyrics. Uh, you know, they seem to strike a chord. They don't age. Um, you know, um, you know, so that you know speaks to you as a as a lyricist as much as anything. I think. Um, well, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I I love words. I, lo- I always always have, and mm-hmm. I mean that was one of the things I think born out of out of the acting and, and you know studying the theater as well is just I love literature. I love I love I love the written word. I love um, the spoken word. I love you know I, I love language. I love playing with words. I I just think that, that such beauty and such 
power and such you know i I just i marvel at it even still and and to you know speak loftily um (laughs) i think maybe doesn't doesn't necessarily have a place when when we're talking about pop music or or but but we certainly we certainly strive you know should strive and and i think people often do and they often do you, you know create you know, great and powerful art. You know, through pop music and through through lyric. Um, yeah, it's it, it's kind of weird that you know people see it as almost wrong that an artist would have something to say <laughs> with their art. You know that it should just be disposable or whatever. But you know, I think the you know truly great art is the stuff that did have something to say and you know came from the heart. And you know, it's just my opinion on that. No, I, 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 and I agree. I mean, I, I think I think ideally, artists want to to speak the truth, but in in an accessible way that that you know people hear it. You know, I mean, uh, I, I know that's not important to all artists, but but I think if you're going to try and make a living at it, then then obviously it's it's um, it's the goal. I mean, you know, and, and I look at film and TV. Obviously. You know, there's so much amazing work out there in film and TV. These writers are, are, you know, so many writers are doing so so much great work, and they're and they're speaking to real real issues, and they're you know, they're inciting real, they're inspiring inspiring real emotion, and and they're inspiring inspiration, and they're you know what I mean? I mean, and, and it's and it's 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 for public consumption, and it's accessible, and it's and it's uh, you know, I mean, so I feel like. I don't know. I, 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 I've never looked down on that. I've always strived to be one of those, to be one of those artists. I don't know that I've ever accomplished that. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I certainly do not look down on that. I think, I think there's been amazing, amazing accomplishments and positive change and positive forces brought to bear through through popular music and television and and you know the artists that bring it I, I so i would count myself proud cool i agree um how were you uh, discovered by jive records since they uh predominantly sort of signed hip-hop artists were you you know did you come more from the uh sort of country uh storytelling sort of um side is i mean did they sort of discover you and your songs that way or did you submit stuff to the label or well they they found me through hip-hop um they found me through through milk my producer oh right uh, oh so you yeah. you and milk were sort of friends before the the album then well we met you know the way you just described perhaps you know i i had hooked up with jive no i was peddling i was peddling my demo Around New York City, and uh, and it found its way into into their hands, into Milk's hands, and then the, you know the company that he worked with, which was First Priority Music, um, under his father, um, who was uh, who also became my manager, um, but he was he was the executive producer, and, and uh, anyway, they so they found me, and um, they had sort of been old school, you know, hip hop royalty. Um, with MC Light, uh, Milk's sister, and, and then Milk's group Audio Two, but um, so they they found me and um, you know heard my demo and called me in and and uh, we're we're like you know 
we like what you're doing, and we're wondering if if you're open to trying something like peanut butter and chocolate. <laughs> you know, mix it up and 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 see what you know, see what comes out, uh, kind of thing. And I was like, I, I, you know, I was I, I was totally totally down. So um, so did, did they uh, uh, did they hear the uh, demo even before seeing a picture of you, or did you send you know the whole. Uh... The, they no, they, they, it was just a tape. So I, I don't think they, I, I don't think they knew what I looked like. I mean, this was back when you know tapes were being circulated. <laughs> I know the, the way you're talking about. It, I know this was only what like 15 years, maybe a little more, but it sounds almost archaic now. <laughs> I know, right? I mean, and it is. It's so crazy how how much has changed in just that short amount of time. It's incredible. It's incredible. Um. So so yeah no I was pedaling my tape around and uh, and they heard that and and I honestly don't know if if they saw a picture of me or not because there wasn't even the internet then it's not like they could look up Jason Downs and, and find a picture of me hmm. um so I mean how crazy is that to think about it's it's fucking insane <laughs> um, so I mean like I, I would assume you know and you know I'm not. Um, this is I, I don't know how this will come across, but you know you are you're a handsome dude. Um, you know, I'm not trying to flirt with you or anything like that. Um, so, but I'd imagine that when you know you have a marketable look as well, so I'd imagine that that maybe played a part in it as well. You know, even before I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, no, of course, um, of course. I I wouldn't I wouldn't delude myself uh, <laughs> into thinking that that it it, it doesn't play a part. Um, because yeah, obviously it's a business, and obviously that it helps if they can sell a face along with you know along with a product. So so yeah, I mean I went I went into their Fifth Avenue office and met with them, and and I think you know they saw some some potential for marketability, and uh, <laughs> and we're like yeah, let's try this. So. That's that's how it began, and when we just started experimenting together, we just started writing. Uh, I mean, I started writing songs to his beats, basically, you know, or, or he took a few of my songs that I had already written and put them to beats, you know, and that sort of thing. Um, we also did a cover of a John Lennon song called Woman. Oh, really? Um, yeah, which I, which I still really, you know, I'm really proud of. I actually really like that. I can, I can send that to you. Okay. Um, that would be great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, we just kind of experimented in that way. Uh, I feel like for a year or two, even. Um, I can't quite remember while his father was sort of shopping it around, and and then um, and then I had some promo shots done. Um, they hooked me up with a with a photographer in New York City, and and I, I went and. We hung out, and I, I told him, "Okay, I've got this idea, and this idea, and this idea." One of the ideas was was that I wanted to stand naked in front of the uh, stock exchange on Wall Street um, during rush hour with just my guitar and a feather in my hair, uh, because I, you know, I, I'm I'm part Cherokee, I'm, I'm you know part Native American, I've always been super proud proud of that, and. You know, so you know, I, I was just playing with this image, this concept of of nature 
in an extreme urban environment. You know what I mean? Um, finding finding the humanity and and the nature in you know in a concrete jungle kind of kind of thing. Um, and and I was also um, <clears throat> obviously excuse me trying to you know put an image to this to this experiment that we were that we you know, milk and i were creating which was you know this sort of folksy rootsy you know country element that i was bringing to you know his urban you know uh his urban hip-hop sound yeah. so you know so th- these were the things the concepts that i was playing with and and this was the image that i that i came up with so i i shot this with this photographer and and I thought I thought they turned out really cool, um, and so, you know, um, uh, when Milk saw that 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 photograph for the first time, he just cracked up and started making fun of me and stuff, and was and was like, "What? What in the world are you doing?" I mean, he was like, "Who who is this this white kid? Who is this white boy with a feather? You know, like what what is his story?" And that's that's how White Boy with a Feather was born. Ah, okay. So it didn't the the photo shoot didn't come from the song. It was the other way around. That's really interesting. Yeah, it was the other way around. So when he saw that, he was like, "Milk is kind of uh, sort of disparaging in the song as well." Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, he he totally he totally made fun of me all the time for my like (laughs) leather pants and my you know. and my, and my feathers and whatnot, you know. I mean, it was all, I, you know, it was all in it was all in good fun. And uh, and but yeah, that that's how the song came about. He was he was kind of he was kind of you know making fun of me, and and we thought it would be a really funny concept. And there it is, you know. And so I I wrote, you know, I made up the story about how this guy found himself naked on the streets of New York City, basically, you know? Um, and it was it had some parallels to my to my own experience of moving to New York and whatnot, but um it was it was mainly symbolic hmm. and um you know just someone pursuing their dreams and and <laughs> and ending up well just you know the the pitfalls, the the ups and downs of, of doing something brave like that. Well, I mean, it, it's too easy to sort of um, compare things to other things, but that song lyrically always, always reminded me of uh, take, uh, take a Walk on the Wild Side. Oh, thank you, yeah. Especially the story about, you know, the, the woman being a guy and, you know. Yeah, no, totally. Um, in fact, I feel, like, I, I feel like I was compared to Lou Reed more than once because we, we kind of have similar low voices as well, you know. And, yeah. Yeah, I can understand that. Um, so, what led to um, you know you did have a, a top twenty single in the UK with uh, White Boy with a Feather. So, basically, what led to you sort of coming over to the UK, and um, what was the thinking behind that the UK uh, would take to this presentation and this sort of uh, you know uh, this new thing, I suppose, because you know um, I don't think anyone had sort of really pushed the whole country hip hop collaboration thing to this degree no not not that i not that we know of i mean that was one of the things that we were kind of proud of was that it really was sort of a new you know a new thing i mean i feel like beck had touched on it everlast had touched on it um but uh you know to be perfectly honest it was just that 
every every label we went to in America liked it, but didn't have a clue as to what to do with it. You know what I mean? They just they were too you know because it also costs a lot more to launch an artist in the United States, or you know it did then at least. You know now the music industry has completely changed, but um, you know it, it costs a whole lot, and so. If, you know, if there was any uncertainty as to where the music fit, yeah, then they didn't want to touch it. <clears throat> so that's kind of what we came up against. They, they just weren't ready for it. They didn't know what to do with it. it. You know, it didn't fit into any convenient box. Whereas when we, you know, went to the UK with it, we found that that they totally got it and were into the fact that it was different and you know we weren't afraid of that at all and embraced it and and you know uh so so we just kind of felt like all right well this is where we're supposed to be i hope everyone's enjoying my interview with jason downs i'll be back in a jiffy you do it in the shower you do it in the car come do it with us and be a star Karaoke with Full House Entertainment at the Corner House Pub last Friday of every month from 9pm. All singers get a chance to win one of 15 prizes and our new food menu is now in full swing. Visit us for a pre-drink at the Corner House Pub, Heaton, Newcastle upon time, NE6 5RP. Before we go back to the show, this is Hot to Death from Jason's second album, The Spin. Step up and confess Don't stop the 
And now, back to the show. Um, so with with that album, um, White Boy with a Feather, did you have much uh, hand in the uh, the remixes that were used as the B-sides, or was that all left to Milk and various other producers? Yeah, I, I didn't have, I did not have much to do with that. I, I went to the sessions just for fun to hang out with, you know, Nightmares on Wax or, or Stephanie Creamer or whoever was working on it. But, um, but no, that was that was all them. I mean, Milk, Milk, from what I know, didn't have anything to do with those either. They were just all, you know, um, hooked up, hooked up by the A and R guy Scott McLaughlin. Uh, at Jive, and uh, yeah, they were they were their own their own thing, you know. So that was kind of the the label's influence on your work, I guess. Uh, the whole uh, electronic hip hop sort of uh, thing, specifically with the remixes, where they they were just given sort of carte blanche. Were you just happy to let them sort of do that, or were there any? There was nothing in like the remixes that you weren't sort of happy with, or anything like that unhappy with yeah no no i mean it also just wasn't my domain mm. you know what i mean like i i'm not uh you know i'm still not extremely well versed in the electronic world and and uh so i i trusted i trusted them because obviously in europe it's been it's been huge much longer than even in the states yeah and uh you know they they, they know what they're doing i trusted them so okay. yeah i just kind of sat back and let them do their thing and enjoyed it. Cool. You know? So, how were the uh, the gigs in the UK? How were the geeks? The, ge- <laughs> the gigs, uh, the concerts. Oh, the gigs. <laughs> um, I, I knew the language or the accent. The barrier, geeks. The geeks. How were the How were the uh, geeks? Did you have any geeks? Did you have any Uber fans <laughs> at the time? I, I consider myself a geeks. <laughs> um, yeah, no, the gigs in the UK were incredible. I mean, I. Still, some of my favorite memories. Um, <laughs> I mean, the audiences there were just—they were just so warm, so enthusiastic, so much fun. Uh, you know, just such such lovers of music and, and live music in general that it just—it was just an absolute pleasure. Yeah, and, that, and that's not to say that you know it isn't that way in the states or, or other places, but. I mean, even comparing the audiences in the UK to say Germany, you know, I mean, you, I mean, you can tell every 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 audience has its own personality, I suppose. But um, man, I, I I do I do miss miss the UK audiences. I remember one show in particular in in um, in Glasgow, in Glasgow, um, <laughs> at King Tut's. That was so incredible. I mean, I, I mean, there there were there were lots. Um, there were lots in the UK. I, I got to play the, the Cavern, for goodness sake, which I know, you know, tons yeah. of people have played there at this point. But, you know, for me, a kid coming from, from the States, uh, I just thought that was that was the coolest. Um, I did. I got to play this this year. So, um, you know, I think oh, wow. it, yeah, it is one of those things. I think if they let me there, then they're probably, you know, uh, I think it's uh, carte blanche for everyone to. <laughs> um, but no, it, it was an amazing thing. Um so, yeah. what what kind of audience did you have then? Was it mainly sort of, uh, was it musicians? Was it sort of the female audience? Because, you know, some of the music videos where you sort of, you know, get nude, etc. Like, what kind of audience, <laughs> what kind of audience did you have? 
um, it was really mixed, you know, it was really mixed. Uh, yeah, no, I, I wouldn't say that it was, that it was female by and large. No, I'd, I'd say it was probably half and half if I had to guess. Hmm. That's, I'm just, uh, just intrigued by it. Cause you know, I, I, the first thing I heard, um, it was, uh, I heard, uh, Cherokee, um, and you had an interview on, uh, oh God, it was, uh, it was T4 at the time. I don't know if you remember this stuff or not. Oh yeah. Yeah. Pop, Pop world, sure. I think. Um, <laughs> that, that's, that is going back a little bit, but yeah, no, it was really cool. I really dug, immediately dug the track. Um, and I think that was one of the first CD singles that I went out and actually, you know, went out of my way to buy sort of thing. Really? Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I, I sort of, you know, I, because of the t- uh, music, uh, the bands that I'm influenced by, sort of, you know, Queen, um, mm-hmm. you know, sort of the older mm-hmm. bands, it's not sure. like you could go out and buy singles sort of thing. And, um, that's I, amazing. I, I love that. That that That's so cool. I appreciate that. I love that track. I do. It's it's still, it's a beautiful track. Mm. Um, they did they did a great job. I mean, really, the the guy who mixed that for us, whose name was Warren Riker, um, who Jive hired to mix that, that he really made that that track special. I feel like, I mean, he mixed it in New York City, and what I remember him specifically doing for that track was was running it through the staircase. He ran it through the stairwell, the emergency exit stairwell. You uh, know, yeah. And um, and it it just kind of gave it this amazing effect. <laughs> I, I I don't know how to describe it. Yeah, but, yeah, it is. I mean, it but, was it was nothing like I'd ever heard, and it didn't go out of its way to try and be the most, I suppose, commercial sounding song in the world. I I just really like that song. You know, you say that um, you know electronica isn't specifically your forte uh but as you moved into the spin it kind you know uh the music that you wrote sort of went that way a bit more so was there a an influence behind that um yeah so so after white boy with a feather um i did i don't know i probably did like three or four probably four tracks with milk again Mm. um for the spin and then and then I really wanted to I really wanted to experiment with other producers um, because while I loved Milk uh, you know they, they were really kind of interested in in me doing the same thing again and again you yeah. know and, and and you know, perhaps it's naivete on my part. Perhaps you know, it's it's the idealistic artist, you know, thinking that he, you know, spitting in the face of of commercial, you know, <laughs> what makes sense business wise. But uh. but um, you know, it's the age old blah blah story. But um, you know, for better or worse, I I, I really wanted to, to to sing about you know other things aside from just chicks and chicks and you know girls and you know. Uh girls um which you know i love chicks i love girls um you know who who doesn't but (laughs) but uh you know i I wanted to sing about other things you know like you you had mentioned one of those days on on you know the first album and you know that that sort of thing is what i brought to the table you know when when milk and i met um and then i think you know 
white boy with a feather is a perfect example of, of you know really melding the best of both worlds hmm. um, and I just sort of felt like as we got to the second album that wasn't happening as much and so I, you know I, I really wanted to, to work with some other people and see if I could find that and um, as a result um, you know I worked with Xenomania uh, and you know, I think they they specifically sort of pushed me toward that electronica thing, which you know I, I was fine with. Again, you know, I I'm I'm open to to any of that. Um, again, I think what was interesting is that I, I still didn't change what I did very much. You know, they they took what I did and and the and sort of the things I wanted to sing about, and they you know they 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 did they brought their thing to the table you know which which they do really well hmm. um i worked with them and i worked with uh i worked with these two cats out of new york city um xenomania was was in near gatwick actually um outside london and um uh and then i worked with these two guys named k and s um out of new york city who had done a lot of britney spears and different things and and they're the ones that uh, I ended up creating the single with, uh, the one that, that came out on the Spen Shut Up Hookup. Yeah. Um, which obviously ended up being about chicks and girls. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, I mean, I was going to say that, you know, you kind of answered a question that um, they kind of added their influence onto your ideas, not the other way around, because a lot of the songs on that album would have worked in you know with very different arrangements as well but no um yeah hot stuff um that track you know what you're able to do with i mean i love the chord progression um but the fact that you know it's a it's a very simple loop but you're able to not make it sound repetitive and you, you know um you do some really awesome things with it like i particularly like that track awesome well thank you i you know again i gotta give Mill credit on that one that was one of his so mm -hmm. props Props to, to Milk and Mark Passy on that. Um, yeah, no, that that's a hot track. I, 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 I dig that. Hmm. I dig that. I, I dig a lot of songs, but you know, the thing about that one was, was also that you know the the end result was that it really did kind of sound like okay, well, you know, okay, he's going this direction on these tracks. Oh, he's going that direction on these tracks. He's going that direction on these tracks, which <laughs> I don't mind, you know, but. Uh, you know, it's not as cohesive as as uh, White Boy with a Feather. You know, we really had a strong focus on that one, and you know, so that's that's evident to me at least. You know, uh, yeah, I, I, that, may not. I agree, but I've, at the same time, that's what I love about this. Is why you know I'm a, a fan of your work is that you don't stay. You know, even within the context of an album, you don't stay with a certain style. Um, but it also, it, you know, it, I, I love, uh, I mean, I love the production of, of the album. Um, you know, th there's a sparseness to it, um, but everything, you know, just sounds immaculately produced. I mean, did, did, would you have preferred maybe a, a bit more sort of maybe dirt on the album or, I mean, or was that part of the point of it being like electronic, uh, and uh, sort of loops yeah no i mean the, yeah the point was to was to really go sort of clean clean pop you know i mean we weren't going for for grit i mean i always i think i think i think my voice and and my lyrics naturally sort of bring some of that that um i mean grit maybe pushing it but you know i mean 
I think that's where that's where you you'll find some of that mm. that raw you know rawness and honesty and or and or grit. Um, so yeah, no, I mean we we wanted a clean sort of pop. I mean that's yeah. Well, that's I, I would say that you know the the fact that you're an actor as well. You know you're able to. Uh, the lyrics obviously tell the story of the song, but you're able to perform it not just as a singer, but almost as an actor as well, where you use certain inflections in certain words and stuff like that. Well, I, I appreciate you picking up on that. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely something that I try and bring to my performance, um, no matter what I'm doing. Yeah, I, I, I probably I, I can't help it, I guess. You know, I mean, that's that's part of who I am and part of you know, what I've trained my, myself to be, do, and, and yeah, it finds its way. Mm. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, one thing I love about songwriting and is, is storytelling, and, you know, it's the same thing I love about, about acting. You know? um, when you're in a great piece, you're, you're telling a great story. And, um, so, so, yeah, I mean, that, I, I, love, I love that aspect. I always have. Hmm. I appreciate you even noticing you know, <laughs> <laughs> noticing that. That's cool. No, no. I think the tr the track that sort of comes most from left field on the album, in my opinion, is uh, "Got It Made." Um, was that kind really? of? Yeah, it, it just. You mean the 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 sound of it or the content? <laughs> um, a bit both, really. I mean, because it sort of there's. It's kind of, I suppose, not. It's the one that sort of doesn't touch on, uh, say, love or relationships or women or whatever. You know, um, it comes from, you know, it, I think, you know, for probably more people, it may be more relatable sort of thing. I've, I've always loved the chorus. Um, and it, it kind of has that sort of, you know, um, I mean, it, again, because I've asked this before, but did it have a slight autobiographical feel that you were sort of happy with life at that point and all? Was that uh... well? That I mean, again, we're, we're talking about this sort of disjointed, you know, way that that I approached this that album. Mm -hmm. um, that came from a producer I worked with in Woodstock, Woodstock, New York. You know, the famous, you know, Woodstock. Yeah. Uh, he played me a track that a friend of his wrote, um, and forgive me, it's escaping me. Uh, I feel like it was Jeremy something, um, and and it was it was got it made, but it was just the verse. It was just the verse, mm. um, and you know I, I thought it was catchy. I liked I liked the concept of you know how everything is shit, but you know I still got it. <laughs> I still got it made. Okay, I, I like that concept, and so I asked him if I could take it and and. Uh, you know, and write a bridge, write, write a chorus and write a bridge and blah, blah, blah. blah out. Um, and so I did. Was it autobiographical? Not, not so much as I could relate to the feeling, you know. Um, I, you know, I was happy with my house at the time. I, you know, I, <laughs> I, 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 you know, my car wasn't broken down. You know, I, I mean, your, I, your team I, didn't I, just uh, lose the playoffs, um. right? Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I, I was playing. You know, I was, I was playing all of that to just sort of paint this picture and capture this feeling that I, I thought we could all relate to, um, because 
Yeah. I've certainly did that. I've played it at work before in jobs, and I've been like, oh, maybe I should switch it off because I don't want it to give the impression that I hate my job or something like that. But <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I I certainly didn't hate my job at the time. But it, it's kind of it, it, you know, I sort of related to one of those days that it is the song for like the pissed off sort of you know person. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, it, you're right. You're right. It is sort of like one of those days, you know, the equivalent of one of those days for the spin. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. It's that, it's that day that you're a, a little discontent. You know, <laughs> um, one of the tracks that I'm actually not familiar with because it was a, uh, the B side to Shut Up, and that is a single that I don't own, and you'll have to, um, you'll have to scold me for it as a fan. I think. But, um, uh, that, that reminds me, I forgot to send you Woman. Oh yeah, please do, please do. I yeah, I think I think that that'd be a really cool thing to to accompany this. Absolutely. Uh, so, so, so yeah, re remind me. Okay. Um, it was a, it was a track called No Problems. Um, so how much like how much involvement right. did you have in that? Oh, do you remember even much about it? With it being a B side. Or... Yeah. Um, well, that that was another one that, that originated with Milk, mm -hmm. um, and. You know, similar to the first album, he came to me with this concept, you know. Um, wait, no, I'm thinking of people. Perfect, Perfect people. people is what I'm thinking of. No, that was problems. No. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not summoning that. You're right. Wow. But, but it did come from milk. It definitely came from milk. Um well, the the uh, singer on Perfect People as well, um, and I'm I'm going to be terrible at trying to pronounce his name, John Lardieri. Lardieri, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he did an amazing job. Um, so, I mean, what was the reason to sort of uh, have an extra singer on that track in particular? Was it sort of because it it's kind of almost a, in a way a, a statement kind of song, um, and. I think the fact that it has more than one singer sort of, you know, it sort of um, gives the feeling that it encapsulates a lot of people's feelings. Um, mm -hmm. Was that the sort of thinking behind it, or was that just? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, he was. I mean, he worked with Milk as well, and I don't know, was friends with with the producer Mark Passy that you know that, that we all worked together and. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was one of his songs and he was like, Hey, what do you think about, you know, doing this together? And, and we thought it would, yeah, I mean, we thought it would work. We thought it would be cool. Um, I mean, I really dig, I really dig the, uh, the sentiment. And I mean, again, that's sort of like, that's sort of like one of those days or, you know, got it made. It's kind of, you know, one of those, one of those more pointed, pointed yeah. songs. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I actually, you know, now that you're walking me through these, I, 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 think, <laughs> I think there's a lot of good tracks on that. There's a lot of good tracks on that album. There really is. Uh, yeah, you know, I, 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 I haven't, you know, I mean, this is this is kind of fun to walk down memory <laughs> lane because I really, I really haven't listened to that album all the way through in a while. Mm. You know, every now and then I'll, I'll hear a song pop up on the on the playlist or whatever, and it'll make me smile, but. But, you know, that's not the same as, as, as just listening through. Uh, it's time to do that. You're, make, you're, make, you're making me want to <laughs> go back. and I love that. 
This is just out of interest because I've always loved the TV show. When you were in the UK, you appeared on The Big Breakfast. Uh, do you have any memories of that? I do, yeah. Um... Was getting up that early in the morning just like murderous at the time, or was that? Oh, no, I didn't. I mean, I think I was probably used to it. Um, okay. Or with the time difference, who knows? You know, it may have been fine. Uh, yeah, I, I don't remember that being an issue. I just remember I, I had a lot of fun, but I remember being slightly offended by their portrayal of Native Americans. Like the whole they okay. they had set up this whole thing like with a fake fire in the backyard, and and they'd brought in a professional archer, and he you know they put him in this ridiculous like plastic headdress. And, uh, you know, he was, he was sitting there, they made him. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, it, it, they were great people. They were, you know, obviously they didn't do it on purpose, but, uh, <laughs> no, but, I, I mean the big breakfast, there was kind of, it was kind of a no holds barred sort of, you know, um, everything in the name of fun, I think, but obviously, you know, probably the, you know, there was a, a, a slight political incorrectness going on at times. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, that, it, it was all, it was all in, in good fun, but, uh, I don't know. It, that, took, it, it, took, was... it took me off guard a little bit and I feel like I, I may have schooled them a little too harshly on, on the. <laughs> yeah. Was it, it was it specifically aimed at you or was it uh, just a coincidence that you were on the show? Oh yeah. No, it was, it was all for me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. It yeah. wasn't while you were performing, was it? Or anything like that? wasn't like a stage show. No, no, no. I, I didn't, I don't, I don't think I played anything. I may have, but mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, it was a big segment, you know? I mean, there was a portion where we were outside this whole true thing where they, you know, had him fire at the, at the bullseye where there were different topics that they were going to ask me about. And then, you know, there was, there was, you know, <laughs> that's so ridiculous. <laughs> another section, there's another section inside. Uh -huh. Um, you know, so they they gave me a really, they gave me a lot of time. It was great fun. Mm. Um, it was just a little silly. You know, that, yeah. that's all. <laughs> uh, well, I think you've just summed up the entire ten years of the Big Breakfast. <laughs> a little silly. Um, so, was there any? Because I I don't know. Was the uh, disappointment that the spin maybe didn't uh, do as well as the first album? Or well, sure, of course there was disappointment. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, you want it to do as well and better. Uh, but but what was really unfortunate was that Jive, probably not even a month after the release of the spin, Jive was sold to um, to BMG, okay, and then and then later Sony. Um, so it was a time so, of like a lot of mergers, I think, you know, in Oh all yeah, no, of, absolutely. Yeah. This was, this was when things were just about to go crazy, you know, with, 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 uh, you know, iTunes and, you know, blah, blah, blah. It was, you know, the music industry was turning upside down mm -hmm. and, um, and Jive, yeah, I mean, the, you know, the owner of Jive got out at just the right time and made four billion dollars or something crazy you know? right, okay. yeah. um and he he was smart but it was really really sad for me because i was literally out on the road promoting the album when that happened and then suddenly the entire label was in you know chaos and 
and nobody knew what they were doing and everybody was, you know, being let go or, you know what I mean? Like, like, I don't think anybody transferred over to BMG. So, um, so when, when you were out on the road for the spin, um, did you, was it, uh, playing to backing tracks or was it with the more electronic feel? Was it just you with your guitar or, or was it, it was just me? Track? It was just me with the guitar. I went out on the road with, with, uh, with a local musician there in, in London you know, and we played with other guys too every now and then for for larger stuff. But by, for the most part, it was just me and me and um, Maddie White. That's good. I would love to hear some of the stuff from the spin stripped down like that. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, we just did acoustic sets um, all over to promote, and it was it was a lot of fun. You know, we just went from radio station to radio station, and you know, did little gigs in there, different venues, and. It was, uh, you know, it was a blast. Uh, I mean, and again, it was supposed to just be sort of, you know, to drum up interest and 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 sort of get get the ball rolling, and and that it was going to be like the first phase, and then it ended up being the last phase, <laughs> yeah. the only phase, the only phase, and last phase. So, I mean, what, what did you? I mean, obviously, it was, uh, you know, it was all going on around you but did was there a sense of uh were you being realistic at the time and sort of like expecting you know what was to come sort of thing and not getting too much of a like a i don't want to say like a, a big head or anything like that but you know kind of you know you'd been used to sort of having the hit album etc and um obviously there's disappointment but it was did it did yeah it, i think yeah. i was yeah i think i think i fully expected things to continue and and you know, obviously there to be ups and downs, but I, I expected to be a recording artist for the rest of my life, for as long as I, you know, as long as I could or, or, or wanted to. Um, that was my goal. That was my dream. That was, and I was living it. And and I think I was oblivious to a lot of the inner workings and oblivious to. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I, I was never. <laughs> never a business I was never I was never a businessman you know what no. I mean I've always been the artist and um, I mean I mean I, I mean you know mentally that's where my head is and and uh, and I've always had a, a, a little bit too much of the blind faith I think that comes along with that and um, you I, know, think you, I think, you, I think a, you have a, to you know what I mean if you if you don't believe in what you're doing then I don't think anyone else is gonna believe in it sort of thing well absolutely um, Absolutely. So, so that is sort of a, an odd dichotomy, a, you know, strange bedfellows, where you, you need to sort of have just enough of that and just enough savvy and and anyway, I think I, I think I had an excess of the sort of dreamer, you know, wide-eyed dreamer, <laughs> as opposed to <laughs> as opposed to the worldly wise and whatnot. So I, I you know, I. I yeah I think I was naive more than arrogant and and so I was really 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 sad when all that sort of came crashing down and blew up in my face. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I mean I still don't know to this day exactly what happened. I, I I just simply wasn't included in in the in the deal. You know what I mean? Like I, I like a lot of other artists just sort of were left out of that transaction. You know? Yeah. And and I, I thought okay well. I'll find another label and we tried that for a little while but but again I think the timing was so unfortunate because by then 
uh, you know, 2005, 2006, labels were freaking out and they weren't really signing people the way they were, you know? And, and, uh, anyway, yeah, I was well, a one hit, I was a one hit wonder, I guess, technically. And, and they, I, 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 I don't know. After the spin, as far as I'm concerned, you just disappeared. I, you know, off the face of the earth. Um, so what, you know, when you were say unsuccessful, um, in, attaining another label did you go straight into acting at that point or did you continue um musically? i think I, I i mean i was really i was really upset i was i i i admit it i was i was sad yeah. i needed I, I wanted to hide so i did you know I, I moved out of new york city up up near um up to woodstock um you know basically the mountains <laughs> Uh, the wilderness, the wilderness, and um, and just sort of healed for a while, and I, you know, I still made music, and eventually I did, eventually I did make another album, um, Love Me Alone, but uh, but yeah, I, I I was kind of ashamed that I wasn't able to continue being a recording artist, and I was really depressed about it. And, you know, I was trying to make moves and, you know, things weren't happening and that was depressing and you, you know what I mean? So it just kind of went round and round and, yeah. and, uh, was that your Brian, you know, but, Brian Wilson smile period sort of thing? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, and I needed to go through it and I think, I think my music improved as a result. I think my acting improved as a result. I mean, you know, these things, life happens and, and, uh, you know, I have no regrets, yeah. but that's, so is that where why am I not famous directly come from? Sort of a tongue in cheek look at that. Absolutely, yeah. that is absolutely where it came from. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you know, finally coming to a, a place of peace with it all, and, and you know, being able to make fun of myself and and laugh about it, and 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 uh, you know, and cry about it and whatnot. I mean, the coolest thing was that don't people could relate to that that feeling you know so many of us have had i mean whether you were lucky enough to to get as close to success as i did yeah um even briefly uh we can all relate to that feeling of, of wanting to be famous or you know wanting to you know be an amazing singer or be an amazing actor or artist or you know whatever um we, we all go through that stage um, as children or as young adults or, you know, whatever, whenever. Um, so that was really, really fun because the response that I got from all the audiences that I did the show for was, was just that, you know, it was, they were really able to put themselves in my place and just laugh, just yeah. laugh about it. And, and, and um, yeah, so that, that was really therapeutic. <laughs> Yeah, for those who don't know, it was a stage show that you um, that you wrote, and you you did star in it as well, um, I believe. Did you? Because yes, that, yeah. that's the thing. I obviously haven't been able to see it. Um, yeah, no, I I wrote it and and uh, starred in it. And did you write new music for it? Oh. I I did. I, I wrote some new stuff. I mean, I think I only ended up putting one you know track that i wrote specifically for that in in the show mm -hmm. but used you know, i definitely used a song or two from 
at least one song from Love Me Alone um, as well. And then, and then the rest, and, and I, I sang White Boy with a Feather and, uh, when I got to that part of did the Did you story, do it with a wig and a cowboy hat? Oh. <laughs> well, I, did, I didn't put on a wig, but I put on the cowboy hat and my, awesome. and my, and my Timberlands and, you know. Um, <laughs> See, the nerdy fan of me, I would have loved that. I would have been, I would have been hollering. Oh, you yeah, know, it was great fun. It really was. It was, it was great fun. I, I you know, actually, I be great to do it in the uk i think it'd be hilarious oh you know what you should you should aim for the edinburgh fringe i think that would be the perfect place to the edinburgh fringe all right yeah what time of year what time of year it's it's all throughout august it's that it's a really big for a comedy festival um and i think i honestly think it would be perfect for that because edinburgh you know obviously you know capital of scotland and you know it's big population anyway but people come from all over the world for this thing and um you know, many many names have been discovered at the fringe. Um, yeah, I've, I've, I would, yeah, I think I would a great idea. Personally, I mean, I've, obviously, with it being uh, July now, uh, and <laughs> I don't expect you to organize a tour in eight days. Um, <laughs> but you know, for next year, I think it would be a, an awesome thing. And I think if you were prepared to look into that, I would be prepared to help you wherever I could with that because I think it would be an awesome thing. Okay, sweet. All right, yeah, I'll take you up on that. Awesome. Well, the, the, the image that I'm looking at, which I may use for the uh, for the podcast, is the image uh, that you uploaded to Kickstarter for Why Am I Not Famous? Um, <laughs> with all the arrows pointing at uh, your you know, facial features, high cheekbones. All oh, right, 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 to die right, for. right. <laughs> um, Yeah, it's quite funny. Um, so was, there, right. was there sort of... Um, was there any hesitance with doing it because i'm doing a kickstart at the moment and it's driving me insane uh was it sort of was there any hesitance in doing it or was it just an experiment sort of thing um it was it was it was hmm. i mean it, it was definitely an experiment i had yeah. never done anything like that before mm-hmm. um but it, it worked i mean i was surprised that i was able to was able to raise the money so hang hang in there is all i could say absolutely um well as a fan as well because i'd I'd search for you you know uh to see what you were doing every so often and then this came up and but it was right at the the back end of the kickstarter so you know um i wasn't in a position to sort of donate to it sadly but um it was great that i was able to find it and then obviously that led to finding uh bitch of the week the music uh video uh superb uh video and um it, it's very unlike you know i i wasn't sure what to expect from the album i was thinking maybe that kind of stuff throughout the album but it um with the sort of you know uh commercial pop kind of feel but it certainly isn't it's got a far more mature um feel to it and you know lots of obviously natural instrumentation and everything and kind of you know orchestral influences then in there as well yeah yeah i mean it's it's really back to my roots you know it's yeah. really sort of you know and and what came out of me organically at the time and yeah it, it was just me it, it was that that was that was all me you know mm-hmm. and, and i'm assuming like the no pressure to you know exactly. for it to i don't know it was all be, me. yeah uh for it to be heard by like sort of the biggest audience possible as well you just threw it out there and you know, exactly and, and i'm exactly. so glad that i found it because my i mean my favorite song off the album's uh dead man um oh yeah yeah it's a great a great song um thank you thank you can you i mean without sort of you know uh complete i don't know if it would like ruin my image of the song but what what is that one about in particular because I, I love that song um it's uh it's about 
it's about my relationship with Christianity, my relationship with being a bad boy, my relationship with being with, with my mother and father hmm. as well. Like it's sort of all three of those things. Yeah.
girl I call Sophia, she's the one I've waited for. I will try to tell my story and hope that she won't close the door. Oh, Sophia, I'm so sorry. Ah, that was lovely. That was Sophia, um, an unreleased demo um, using the melody of Ode to Joy, which uh, Jason is very good at doing that kind of thing. Um, he rewrote uh, lyrics for uh, Cats in the Cradle by Cat Stevens as well. Uh, did a brilliant version of it. There are two different versions of it where he, uh, he plays with the melody quite a lot on uh, the first album, White Boy with a Feather. 
and then I believe, I could be wrong, I believe it was the single version, which is more melodically similar to the Cat Stevens version, but he's really great at adapting something and uh, making something completely fresh and new, and uh, yeah, that song, it's very sweet, I very much like it. He sent me a few songs, and uh, it, it was quite an honour to have uh, heard them, and uh, some of those will be played on future shows. Um, yeah, so thanks again to Jason for giving me a lot of his time. Uh, we had to do it over uh, a few sessions because uh, Jason is a you know as as is usually the case, um, the guest is far busier than I am. Uh, but also, you know, I have to because a lot of them live in California or New York or Australia or whatever. You know, I have to accommodate have to accommodate the time difference uh, because they are doing me the favor by being on the show. Uh, so usually I'm up at like 3 a.m. <laughs> like barely able to stay awake um, and they're doing stuff throughout the day. So yeah, um, we. but it, it was a great interview. Thank you to Jason. Um, hopefully we'll get to chat again uh, soon. Um, coming up, Next week's guest is uh, former WWE superstar Colin Delaney. Um, Colin was so cool to talk to. I mean, we, we do talk about his career a little bit, but we ended up going off in so many different places. Um, it's pretty crazy. So, yeah, um, well, I, I chatted to Colin, um, and we got along quite well. And um, there are plans uh, to do some more stuff. So, you know, I will be going into that more as time goes on. And as stuff gets confirmed basically um i will be chatting quite soon to a local artist called mike gatto um he's been a friend for quite a long time and he helped uh engineer some of the uh, toxic melons releases and he's so talented as a singer-songwriter and um and as a pop artist as well and you know he deserves to be on the highest platform possible uh but until then <laughs> he's going to be on pablo's pop and podcast uh so we get to talk about you know just about everything really and you know the the podcast is there to serve as a platform for artists that you haven't heard of it's always been a podcast for the open-minded i've always said that and uh i think you'll enjoy him and we'll be playing some of his music as well and um i've just confirmed um the former WWF photographer uh, of 17 years, uh, Tom Buchanan. Uh, that's a name that you are possibly familiar with if you're a wrestling fan. Um, you know, look at any, just about any photo shoot from, <laughs> you know, the uh, the late 80s to the late 90s, and Tom was probably familiar, uh, responsible for it. So there... He is a wealth of stories, and um, I think we're, yeah, I'm gonna get obscure, I'm gonna get obscure on his ass, um, <laughs> and really test that memory bank because uh, yeah, uh, he's done just about everything. Um, and as a fan, it's gonna be amazing to be able to chat to him about this stuff. So yes, um, join the Pablo Poppin Podcasts Facebook page um, to be kept abreast of all information. Um, if you would like to, you know, the Kickstarter was successful, but I have music available at toxicmelons.bandcamp.com. I've worked with many big names, uh, especially in the power pop field. Roger Manning, Eric Dover, Linus of Hollywood, Taylor Locke, Chris Price, Fernando Bodomo, uh, Keith Klingensmith, etc. Um, so, um, you know, the amazing Vim Audek as well, uh, who I will get on the podcast soon um he will be an amazing uh, guest to have um yeah so do check it out that 
supports me that helps keep me going and uh, a lot of the kickstarter stuff if you missed out on the kickstarter don't worry um i'm you know i'm not a fool i'll happily still take orders <laughs> uh obviously not everything is available um you know all of this you know getting stuff signed by roger and eric all of those orders have been taken care of uh, but you can still buy the vinyl there will be merchandise etc do get in touch because uh it helps keep me going and i really appreciate it and hopefully you like the music as well uh, so yes we're gonna leave you with another Jason song uh, from his most recent album very happy to have found uh, this album um, after searching for Jason for you know every so often I'd search for see what Jason was up to because you know when you like an artist you know um, that's the thing you know we've I'm a big jellyfish fan and you know, you always search to see what Andy Sturmer is up to, to the point where, you know, not just me, but, like, a lot of people do it, so to the point where, if you go on Google, there's a pre-made search of Andy Sturmer 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015, etc., because people are interested in what they are up to, and uh, I've always been interested in what Jason Downs is uh, doing as, you know, not just a musician, but an actor, and just everything else. He's massively talented. Um, so, yes, I'm going to leave you with another unreleased track, uh, which we talk about during the interview this is his cover of the john lennon song woman done in his own inimitable style it's an awesome version and we shall or i shall because again it's just me i shall see you next week okay bye
Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.